Gillian, first of all, good to see you. Um, so we've got confirmation uh, the fight is on again with Alexander Povetkin. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I wanted a rematch. I came, I came out of the ring and um, we finally got the terms done and stuff and the rematch is on. It's an immediate rematch, you know. Povetkin have been in shape and I'll be in shape. So made for a, be a much better fight than the first one. Was this a no-brainer as far as you were concerned? Was it an immediate thought, I've got to have this as a rematch? It is. There's a lot of people out there saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Or if it was me, out of this, I would have that. Or if one, I should change this. But what people understand is, I'm not that way inclined. I'm a fighter and I'm a warrior. And I want to get straight back in. I don't want to lose and be like, oh, make excuses, take an easier fight and then come back. No, I'm, I'm road level. So why am I going to come back at a lesser level? No, I'm road level. And it was a close fight, the fight that, I was dominating and, and I got beaten. And I believe, it's a fight I believe I can win. Just need to make some tiny adjustments. So, yeah, what, why not go straight back in? You know? How much have you watched the fight back and, and, and thought about how you performed in that fight and, and, and particularly about that, that particular punch that obviously caught you? I watched the fight twice because I already knew what I did wrong. You know, straight away in the, in the post interview, I said basically what, what was wrong and what happened. So... I didn't need to watch it too much or dwell on it too much. I bit I get depressed about it. It's one of those ones where instead of boxing, I was dominating the fight. Pivot can learn probably the best punch of his career. You know, obviously a tough guy, experienced guy, very um he's probably one of the most technical fighters I've ever, I've ever fought. So yeah, you know, it's nothing really to go into too much, you know. I mean, it's one of those where I made a mistake and um, you know, obviously heavyweight boxing, that's what's great about the fight, you know, heavyweight boxing. I almost had him out there twice and then he landed a punch like that. So I just took it for what it is, see the mistakes I made and now we just move on and improve and then we'll come back and beat him. So. Has it been difficult at all to, to move on, to, to, to not think too much about what he did wrong and, and that, that particular punch? Or is, is it easy enough for you now to just draw a line and say, right, start again. I know what I did wrong, I know I can do it. It wasn't difficult at all because it's not a fight that I got sustained beating for five rounds or I was down on the score because I was getting beat up. I was out colossus. It's one of those ones where, you know, I just got caught with a punch. He set it up, you know, obviously he was the experience and he set up the punch and he learned the punch and I got caught. So one of the ones I just need to just focus on moving forward and just correcting, I wouldn't say the mistakes to me, just correcting little technical things really. And that's it. Like I said, I had seven amateur fights and 29 professional fights. I'm still learning and figuring things out and still adjusting to things, you know. One of my strength is I adjust to things in the fights as they're going on, but this time I never had a chance to adjust. I didn't get knocked down and think, okay, I need to, you know, I didn't get hurt and think, all right, I wasn't getting out jabbed or out boxed or out fox and I had to make an adjustment. There's ones where I just got caught, never had a chance to make an adjustment and that's every boxing. But now we watched it back reevaluate and I see the little adjustments I need to make and to be honest now I know exactly what I need to do we always knew that he was going to be a dangerous customer and we knew that he had a punch like that in his locker but it was a punch in a million it was so sweet do you think he'll ever be able to throw a punch like that ever again well it's every boxing you never know you know sometimes it takes a lesser punch and that to knock someone out you know obviously it's not my job on the resume it's my job to give him all the credit he due and to prepare properly and to make sure 
whatever it comes with on the day, I'm ready. You know, obviously I was ready for 90% of things that he came with in the day. As you see, I was making a miss earlier. I was talking up well. I know I was countering him. And I was um, boxing well, being patient, taking my time, wasn't missing and overreaching and making too much mistakes and stuff and being too anxious. So, you know, fair play to him for what he did and how he did it. And now it's just my turn to just go and um, do what I do and dominate and the same, you know. And that's the great thing about heavyweight boxing and rematches, you know what I mean? I've, I've within the space of a few months, I'll get a chance to change everything all over again, you know. Obviously, that that WBC um, slot is is there again. That's that's enough of a, yes. a carrot dangling in front of you, anyway. But the fact is, you will want to get that that off your record. That that defeat is you've had uh, you've had setbacks in your life before. This is just another bump in the road, isn't it? it? This is the story of my life. There's always one setback after another setback after another setback. This is another thing that I just have to overcome, get it done, and just prove the naysayers. They showed him that, listen, he can never write me if he can never understand me. He can say whatever you want about me, feel however you want to feel about me, but you can never ever write me off and say, ah, oh, you know. And, and that's what this is. This is, this is, this is, you know what I mean? This is all this is. Just go out there, show what I can do and show that I'm not this level and I can beat these guys, you know. Everyone was shocked that I was beating him the way I was beating him, but, you know, this is boxing. One punch, you know, we've seen it time and time again. You know, Lennox Lewis was up boxing Elvin McCall, one punch. He was up boxing Asim Rafferman, one punch. You know, but then, then he came back and beat both those guys. And you're confident that you can get past Povetkin and you can put yourself back in the shop window as far as heavyweight world titles is concerned against who? One million percent. One million percent. In terms of the schedule now, I think it's, what, nearly nine weeks you've got until the fight itself. What, what plans do you have in place? And are you happy that you've got enough time there to, to get yourself fully fit and ready? Yeah, 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 you know, I'm already in decent shape, so now we just train hard. I, um, I rest like 10 days and I went straight back to training anyway, you know, and I feel good. Um, 10 weeks is more than enough, you know. We just fought a couple of weeks ago, so I didn't take no damage. There's no injuries, my hands is fine, you know, and um, I didn't get cut, I didn't get beat up, I didn't get any sustained beating that I needed to rest or anything because bruised, so... So, if anything, he took he he, he got a more he got more of a levering than I did, to be honest, you know. So, so let's see, you know what I mean. But I'm just excited. I'm I'm so excited and so over the moon, you know. What I mean, you know that that everyone come together, you know, Sky Matchroom, everyone, my team, his team, respect to them as well for coming straight back and having the rematch. I'm sure they believe that they coming to do the same thing again. So. Respect to them, you know. I was glad that everyone come together and just get it done so fast. And there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, you should this, you should do that," but I, I've never listened to anyone before, so I'm not going to start now anyway. And as far as your team is concerned, obviously you had all the the problems before the last fight with your, your Mark Tibbs, your, your trainer, new parting company, and things like that. So is it important? Is it important now for you to get a settled period with the team that you've got in order to make you you feel comfortable and, and fully focused? To be honest, we had that in the first fight, you know. Um, if you look at the fight, I was probably boxing one of the best of boxing a long term. I was patient. I was behind the jab. I was countering him. I was throwing sharp punches and everything. You know, I was out like, jabbing him, out boxing him and stuff like that. So everything was all right. Everything was all right. Now we just have a longer camp, a bit more concentrated, more focused camp, you know, which is what fight camps usually is, 10, 12, 14 weeks. It's a lot more concentrated. We have a, a specific target. We know exactly what we're going up against. We know exactly what we need to do. So, and we've been in there before. And we know that anytime I touch him, I can hurt him. Anytime he touch me, he can hurt me. So, 
we know exactly what we're going to do now. So it's great, you know. And then we've had experience of working together now for a while, so, you know. So, so it's good. It's very good. So you think you'll stay with the, the team that you've got? Things will be, be settled yeah, for you? Yeah, my, 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 my team is the same. My team is the same. My team is the same. And everyone thinks that um, Zab's new, but I've been working with Zab for over a year now. It was there. We've been um, second in command for a while, but now obviously circumstances happen and things happen. And now he's, um, you know, everyone have to start somewhere, you know, but the, the guy knows his stuff about boxing. And just finally, presumably, you're going to stay out there in Portugal and enjoy the, the warm weather. And uh, while it gets horrible and cold here, you'll be fine over there in Portugal, yeah? Well, it was a great camp for me and I trained well. You know, I ain't got no excuses to nothing. So why am I going to change it? You know, I'm not, you know, a lot of people when they lose, they make excuses. Ah, oh, I lost because it was too hot. I lost because of this. No, I had a great camp. I just got clocked. And that's it. So for me now, you know, not only small adjustments I need to make. I don't need to changed coach a lot of people saying change your coach go train with him change this change that no i don't need to do that i need to just make tiny adjustments and that's why it is at this level is make tiny adjustments and that's it really you know obviously um credit due to Povetkin, great fight olympic gold medalist world champion 40 something fight only two defeat you know and um tough man and strong man because some of those knockdowns i gave him would have put a lot of guys to sleep you know and he came back and done his thing so Credit due to him and credit due to him for taking the immediate rematch as well. Struggling with debt? Bills? Loans? Credit cards? Need a way out? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt matters. Where we have Sugar Hill after training today, training in 30 degrees in the uh, gym. How's it all going, Shug? Uh, the gym is going good. It's not as hot, uh, 30 degrees, but the, the crunk was probably about 40 degrees. So I'll give you that because the crunk was real hot, but you did have a space storage heater. We've only got heat and blow, aircon and heat in one, one uh, setting, so yeah. Whatever works, we still got time. But I'm not making excuses because I'm not an excuse maker. Your gym heat was better by far. There's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. The day is young and the nights are long. So by the time we wake up in the morning, there might be some super heat going on here, like when I arrived here in Markham. And uh, there's been a heat wave ever since. Thank you for that, by the way, no. for bringing the uh, Detroit weather with you to Markham Bay. You're welcome, and everyone else in the community is welcome as well. You have a little fetish for Markham, don't you? Uh, Markham is a very nice place. Uh, it's quiet, it's comfortable, and uh, everyone should visit. Struggling with debt? Bills, loans, credit cards? Need a way out? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt matters.
Okay, Peter. So today, I just really wanted to talk about the uh, the legal spat that has developed between Golden Boy, Canelo Alvarez, and DAZN. Um, I just think this is it's quite an interesting spat, and people might think, oh, it's just a little legal dispute, be over soon. Um, but actually, I think it's got quite big implications for boxing, um, for the promotion side, and uh, and for the competition for the sports side. Um, so I just wanted to have a little look at that, really, and and see how that had developed, where we were now, and the avenues it could possibly go down. So just to recap briefly, DAZN. Kind of came into being um, in, in 2018. They had hugely deep pockets and they wanted to set up a subscription uh, television service. And one of the things they did, one of the first acquisitions they did was they said, we're going to get into boxing and we're going to get into boxing big. Now, at this time, um, obviously, Canelo Alvarez had cemented his status as the world number one pound for pound fighter with his second victory over Gennady Golovkin. So very hot property. And also kind of conveniently enough, HBO had said, listen, we're kind of done with boxing now. They had been screening Canelo's fights and they said, look, we're going to take a break from boxing. So it seemed like a great opportunity. So, uh, you know, Golden Boy and DAZN got together um, and they, they signed a big contract, a, a huge record-breaking contract in boxing. It was worth, I think, 385 million in total. Uh, and the deal was that over five years, Canelo would have 11 fights on DAZN um, and he would be guaranteed a purse um, of 35 million for each fight, guaranteed. Now, the, the deal was that they would pay Golden Boy, DAZN would pay Golden Boy 40 million per Canelo fight. 35 million of that would go straight into Canelo's pockets, 5 million being kept by Golden Boy. So, so far, so good, because although every fighter wants to be a pay-per-view fighter, that's seen as the way to riches, um, you know, you don't actually know what you're going to get until all the receipts come in. Um, and, you know, to get 35 million as a guarantee per fight, per fight is just fantastic. I mean, to put that into context, if you were going to try and make $40 million from a pay-per-view fight, let's say you sell the pay-per-view at $80 per, per buy, um, then you have to sell a million, you have to get a million buys for the promoter to get that sort of money, because the money is normally split 50-50 between the promoter and the broadcaster. And to put that into context, um, Canelo's first fight with Golovkin did 1.3 million buys. His second fight did 1.1 million buys. So these are Big numbers. These are, these are stellar numbers. Um, but, uh, you know, Canelo had that all guaranteed. So everything seemed fine going into this deal. You know, DAZN seemed like they were, they were a coming power in boxing. Um, as I say, they had very deep pockets. They signed this big deal and boom, let's go. <clears throat> so Canelo's first fight on that deal was against Rocky Field. So that wasn't actually on the 35 million deal. I think he was guaranteed 15 million for that. He got paid for that by Golden Boy. That's fine. It was broadcast on the zone. Then his next fight went straight into that. And he fought Daniel Jacobs, you know, a leading contender at 160 pounds. You know, good fight and obviously won that, got his guaranteed purse, no problems. Um, and then moving on from that, um, in, in November 2019, he fought Kovalev up at Light Heavy. And again, that was a guaranteed 35 million, screened by the zone. So, you know, but things there were rumours that things weren't going so well then, really. You know, that was that was last year because DAZN had kind of said, we want him to fight Golovkin for the third fight. And they were thinking that third fight, that trilogy fight is going to be massive. We'd like him to do it, you know, on the 5th of May 2020. And that's going to be a big draw for us. And that's going to really expand our subscription base. For some reason, Canelo didn't seem too keen on that fight. I could understand as a fighter who's saying, look, I've beaten the guy twice. You know, why do I have to beat him a third time? Um, and this is where the dispute starts to fall down. So there were rumours that things, people weren't happy, um, you know, things weren't going so well in the camp. And where it breaks down, it's all come out in the legal papers that Canelo has filed. So what Canelo has basically said is um, that he was given a contract by Golden Boy, which said you're guaranteed, you know, 35 million per fight. 
Golden Boy and Canelo will decide on the opponent, with Canelo having the final say on the opponent. The contract that Golden Boy gave to DAZN said, you will have the final say on the opponent. And if you remember this playing out, Peter, in September, um, we were saying, oh, who's Canelo going to fight? And then it, some guy would pop up and it'd be rumours of this. Some guy would pop up and be rumours of that. And then things almost seemed to get to the point where Canelo was saying, this is the guy I'm going to fight. And then all of a sudden it was blown out of the water and it disappeared. And no September fight ever appeared. And that's why. Because Canelo was picking the opponents. And then DAZN was saying, no, you're not, you're not fighting that guy. It's not good enough for us. Um, DAZN also said, listen, things have changed in the boxing world with the, um, you know, with, with the big COVID outbreak. We haven't got a live gate. And again, to put that into context for you, the gates against Golovkin were 24 million each. So that's a big chunk of change. And that really helps to pay for that, that fighter's purse. So, you know, going, going forward, DAZN said, look, we're going to have to cut the money. And at this point, Canelo said, hold on, hold on, we've got a contract. We've got a cast iron contract. In my contract, it says, you will pay Golden Boy 40 million, 35 million that comes to me. And, you know, it doesn't matter about the pay-per-view rides. It doesn't matter about anything else. I've got a guarantee from you. I've got a contract from you. So the zone seems to have got out of this and said, no, we're not doing that. You know, we're not going to pay you that money. And Canelo has said, right, well, let's, let's go legal then. So he's unhappy about those two things. So he's issued writs against Golden Boy and against the zone for breach of contract, you know, in both cases, or against Golden Boy for saying you kept some of the contract promise and against the zone for, for breach of contract. Now, anybody keeping up to date with this will know, well, two days ago, Canelo's law sort of got thrown out, but it was only thrown out on a bit of a technicality about where he'd stated DAZN and Golden Boy uh, were citizens of as, as corporate entities. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, nitpicking, really. It's not a great start from his legal team, but still he's got seven days to file, you know, everything correctly. So that is ongoing. So that's where we're at. And what implications does this have for boxing? How does it kind of break down and what, what does it mean? Well, one of the first things is, you know, I don't think this is going to be a short spat. Another thing Canelo is saying is he wants to be a free agent. So he's suing DAZN and Golden Boy for 280 million and he's also uh, for breach of contract. And he's also saying he wants out of the contract. Now, obviously, DAZN and Golden Boy are going to contest this. Potentially, that means for boxing, you've got the number one pay-per-view star and the pound for pound number one in the world not being able to fight. So he is sidelined. So that is obviously a bit of a disaster for boxing really and he's in his prime so how's that going to affect his career and how long is that going to last for the other thing is he could um you know he, he obviously potentially he could get out of this contract could go the other way he could so he could be on the sidelines for years he could get out of this contract and he could then become a free agent which makes him a very attractive proposition for anybody to set up fights for him so you know or he may be thinking look i'm going to sue him for 280 million i'll take the 280 million i don't know what's going through his head but that's a, certainly a big retirement package which he hasn't, if he hasn't got one already. So that sidelines him for the moment. And I think the other implication for boxing um, is if you cut down the tallest tree in the forest, all the other trees race up to take that place. So there's a great opportunity for someone here to become the big pay-per-view number one pound for pound. And interestingly enough, there's that great fight coming in October between Lomachenko and Lopez. And I think it changes the um, ramification of that fight. It's a great fight, it's an amazing fight. And Lomachenko deserves plaudits for, for demanding that he fights Lopez and taking a pay cut to fight Lopez. So the two leading guys of that way are gonna to come together. But you know that William Monroe Jr. on this show, Pete, has already picked Lopez to win that fight. And now, what's on the plate for Lopez? Well, yes, he could beat Lomachenko, then he'd beat the number two uh, pound for pound fighter in the world, 
well, not anymore, because the number one is, is tied up in legal wrangles. So he'd beat the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. So he would be the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. And not only that, Peter, the number one, you know, favourite son of the Mexican boxing fans is on the sidelines, is on ice. Okay, and that's what a fan base to have. I mean, everybody knows how passionate the Mexican fans are. Now, it could be Lopez could become the new, you know, the, the, the new sort of chosen one of those Mexican, that Mexican fan base. And what clout does that give him then? So, you know, in a way, going into this fight, which is a great fight anyway, a wonderful fight, you know, you've all of a sudden, because of Canelo's sidelining, you know, for those two, there's more to play for uh, because Lomachenko would cement his place as world number one. But for Lopez, oh my God. You know, you could become not only the world number one pound for pound, but the darling of the Mexican fight fans. And with Canelo's sideline, you're the one they all want to watch. And that would give you so much clout. So that's very interesting. And obviously there's other fighters out there. You know, Javonta Davis will be pushed to the fore by, um, you know, by, by, by Mayweather promotions. And, and lots of other fighters will want to take that crown of the number one pound for pound biggest draw that Canelo is kind of vacating by going into this legal limbo. Um, I think for boxing as well, it's interesting because... The zone seems to have done something that the last thing a big corporate entity wants to do. They're going to be seen to be not carrying through on their promises. They have great excuses with the coronavirus pandemic and everything else. But this spat has become very public. Now, you know, if we look back in boxing history, obviously Showtime and Floyd Mayweather, they had some arguments over their massive previous biggest deal ever, six fight deal with Mayweather. And, you know, maybe Showtime weren't happy with Andrew Berto. Maybe they weren't happy with Robert Guerrero, even though, you know, they, they did obviously get Canelo and they did get Pacquiao in the end. Um, but those arguments, although there were rumours, were very much behind closed doors. The relationship stayed firm. And obviously when, when Mayweather came back to fight McGregor, he went to Showtime, you know, as his, his, his partner of choice. So, you know, kind of in a way, that's how you do it. You know, and uh, the fact that DeZone are now having this very public argument with the number one leading figure in, in, in boxing makes you think, well, what other fighters are going to want to go over there? Because if they sign a contract, it's not a cast iron contract. Um, you know, if, if somebody is going to renege on the contract, whatever their excuses. So it doesn't look great for DeZone. And DeZone may also, from their point of view, be saying, look, we have enough fingers burnt on boxing here. We don't want to do this. Um, so we're not going to go any further with it. So where does that leave boxing with HBO pulling out and all the other you know, um, people that, that, that screen boxing kind of having full rosters, it leaves Golden Boy and Matchroom, who are filling his own schedules, with nowhere to go in the States. So what happens then? Well, the, the easy option to me, the obvious option to me, would be a bit like we're doing here, is set up your own streaming service. You know, stream your own fights, stream your own shows. But that's a big ask, you know. That, that, that's another leap, and that's not the same as saying I've got guaranteed money. That's saying I'm going to invest a lot of my own money, put it on the line, and try something that might not work. But, you know, the promoters, in a way, I think, have got to do this. So I'm just seeing it as, 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 as this legal spat. We've got to look at Canelo, Golden Boy and DAZN, where it's going to take them. Could take them all into negative territory. Not many people win in these circumstances. Could sideline Canelo during the prime years of his career. Might not. He might come out of it and be a free agent. But I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of people in boxing, particularly those guys that I've already mentioned, to kind of come to the fore now. And I think it's also time for the promoters to have a little bit of a rethink about how they're going to do things um, with the zone pulling out. So I just think it's a really interesting development in boxing. Um, you know, although it may look quite negative with lawsuits flying around and everything else, you think, well, how is this all going to play out? Where are all the pieces going to drop? So it's really worth paying attention to and uh, and seeing how it goes. And, 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 and you know, apart from looking at the courtroom and seeing if can uh, refiles his stuff, you know, I would very much be looking at that Lopez Lomachenko fight and see how the boxing landscape's going to look after that humdinger.
Struggling with debt? Bills, loans, credit cards? Need a way out? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt matters. Andrew McCart, IFL TV in association with MTK Global. Always delighted to be joined by Lee McGregor. Lee, it's been a while, mate. Uh, I've seen you've been training hard. I know you are on holiday last week with your beautiful family. So, first and foremost, how's things with you? Hi, no bad, mate. All good. Um, just down here in London now. So, uh, first week down here, it's been a good week. So, looking forward to the next. Well, you're down in London for a reason. Right? I, I believe you're, you're training Harlow with... Uh, you've now linked up with Ben Davidson. You're back with uh, training alongside another good Scottish fighter than Josh Taylor. Man, just tell me about that link-up and why Ben and how's things going with Ben so far? I know. Um, well, obviously, back um, about eight, nine weeks ago, um, I was I went over to Fort Ventura just to do uh, a, week's, a week's training just because, obviously, we had all been through that lockdown and everybody was unsure on what was happening. Um, I'd been training back home myself. Um, but there wasn't much we could do and there wasn't many places we could go. So um, when I was asked uh, to go out and go to Fort Ventura for a week, do a bit of training, I thought ideal. Um, done a bit of training, enjoyed it. And then that, that was it, kind of. And then I got, um, I was very grateful for to Ben. He put me on um, nutritionist Dave Stash for my fight, which I had three weeks ago. Because um, he knew I was over there in Port Adventure when I was explaining to him, I was saying, um, blah blah, talking about the weights. You know, I was big for the weight and and everything like that. And um, he said, I know a guy who's absolutely brilliant. Um, I'll I'll ask him out to help you out for this fight. Um, and I was like, oh, brilliant. So I took it over there. Uh, trained back at home myself for that last fight. Uh, well, with my amateur coach Page. Um, but basically, I just me and him. Um, and then I was obviously following Dave's plan with the diet, and I went it went brilliant. And and then I had that fight. I knew I was just wanted to get that fight out of the way, uh, win it, and then um, I was going to come down and see see what it was like down in London with Ben and that. And I've come down and and I'm loving it. And I here we are. We're ready to really get started now and and push on to big things. You've got a good fight. Talking about it's going to be your first fight with Ben against uh, the European champion Kareem Gurfi. Um Good fighter. Eleventh um, of November, still a wee, a wee bit away. But how are you feeling in terms of stepping up that level of competition? I know. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to this fight. I think it's a a great fight for me. Um, definitely a tough one. But as we know, I like the tough fights. I don't like easy fights. So. Um, I've I've got a lot of time to prepare for it. I've I'm already fit. I've not came into camp unshape, uh, out shape and unfit. Uh, I was training, taking over on holiday, um, and obviously I fought about three four weeks ago. So I'm not starting camp way out of shape and really unfit. So I'm, I'm really ready to go. And I've got loads of time to get even better and sharper. So um, I know I'm looking forward to just really starting sparring next week and. And just really get into the swing of things. And, and I think uh, this is going to be a fantastic fight. Gurfi's no mug. He's been in with some some top operators. Very, very experienced. Um, 33 fights or something. I think mm-hmm. he's had 129 of them. Um, made his professional debut, I think, way back in 2006. 
I was like 10 years old. <laughs> years old. And uh, again, he won the Europe. This is it's mad because I, I do like doing my research and he won the European Macat. That is. Is that a Joshy boy? And I, as I was saying, he won the European title back in 2013. Um, that was the first time he won it. And I hadn't I think I'd had one amateur fight back then. And now, obviously, he, he won it again in 2017. And his first defence is going to be against me. So we're talking seven years later. I'm now challenging him for the European title. So it shows you how quickly I've progressed. And my amateur career was the same. I was thrown in the deep end. And I'm kind of doing the same as a pro, but it's, it's either sink or swim, and so far I've been swimming, so swimming I'll continue like to do that. Swimming like fuck. <laughs> I, I remember asking you, I think it was your pro debut, or maybe your second fight in. <laughs> I need to tell him, so Danny's going to start taking all my fucking titles and achievements away. I need to tell That's him, what so I mean. That's what I was going to, I was going to do my next question, Josh, because I remember certainly, I think it was your pro debut, your second pro fight, that Josh obviously won titles real quick in his sixth fight, his ninth fight, and then he was world champion, I believe, in his 15th or 16th. This is your 10th fight, the European title. Four or five more fights after that. I mean, can we talk about... Guys, I mean, four fights, if all going well in the length of November, four fights, four or five fights after that, is it safe to say we can probably talk about you challenging for world titles in your sixth well, fight? Well, as as possible, um, but... Um, as we've seen, uh, as we've seen uh, a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm now ranked number six with IBF. I believe I win in this fight. I'll push me up even more, and then we're talking. I'm in, I'm in the top four or something. I think there's number one. There's no rated. So the number two is Paul Butler. So um, I like it's very, very possible. But like I said, I, like you said, I am young and uh, like I'm only 23. Whereas Josh was a bit older. He had a, a lot bigger amateur. Um, background than what I had um, so it's one of them where, where we could go on and do it um, or I've, I've also got the the youth to, to take my time and slow down and maybe have a stay at that level for a bit have a couple of defences and then bide my time and then take my opportunity when it comes that way so I've got the best team around me um, MTK will do what's best for me and as a fighter, I'm just wanting to be involved in big fights, and if if an opportunity came my way, then there's no way I'm going to turn it down. But like I say, I'm I'm ready for whatever, whenever, uh, whatever my team say, I'll do. And it's even better now. I've got obviously Ben and Dave and that down here as well, and they'll they'll have a say, and I'm sure they'll they'll decide what's best for me as well. The thing is, Josh has got the title of the face of Scottish boxing right now. He doesn't want to give that up to you. Is that what is that what he's thinking? Well, no, I've got I've got big shoes to fill if I want to um, keep keep going uh, the way he's going. But he's a fighter I look up to. Um, he's done remarkable things for Scottish boxing. He's he's on the verge of becoming undisputed champion. So, I like like we say, the both of us are are pushing each other on in the gym. We're back back where we used to be. Um, back alongside each other, and I think that's that's brilliant for the both of us. We really do push push each other on and. Um, I'm glad to be back alongside him. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. Um, I think with me staying at bantamweight just now, um, try and try and win. Obviously, the goal is to become world champion, and then right away, obviously, I would imagine I would be moving up, and I've got the frame to be hopefully become a multiple weight world champion. That's my goals, and and Josh is the exact same. He wants to become undisputed champion. 
and then we've up we're both we've both got the same goals and ambitions. So it's it's really good and encouraging for Scottish boxing. On a selfish point of view, like for me anyway, I want to ask a selfish question. It's for Scottish boxing and for the city of Edinburgh, for me thinking about having two world champions at the same time from the city of Edinburgh and in Scotland, for same, me it's same stable as well. Same, same stable. stable. Well. It's just it's just a I'm, it's a dream for you too, I know that, but for me, it's thinking like it's never happened before in terms of one city, especially Edinburgh, Scottish city, having multiple world champions at the same time. So, yeah. you're in a tough division though, Lee, Anui. Yeah. Obelli, I know you've sparred Obelli a couple of times and stuff like that. You've got Casemiro, you've got all these tough, tough fighters who are the world champions or at world level, but for you as a fighter, I know you as a fighter, Lee, that you must be licking your lips at the thought of maybe fighting one of these guys one day. Oh, 100%. Um... We're talking about it in the gym the other day, even just like the the talk of sparring. Like I went over and sparred Dubali um in preparations for my, my last fight. Um I'd had seven fights as a pro and I was out there for two weeks sparring the world champion. Um so it shows you that I'm I wanna I wanna learn, I wanna progress as quick and I'm willing to do things that, that others aren't. Um, for example, right now I'm down here in London, away from my family, away from my daughter. No many fighters um, want to do that. It's tough, it's hard, but if you want it bad, then, then you'll do it. And that, that's why I'm doing it. Um, so, yeah, like you said, these fighters, um, I want to test myself. I was saying it the other day. I said, this might sound crazy, me saying this, but like I want to get in the ring with these guys and, and see how far away, even if it's just sparring just now, and see how far away I am from them. Um, I, I feel like I surprised myself when I was over sparring with Bali. Fantastic fighter. Um unbelievable champion but um, I've done more than hold my own and, and I've done really well and, I, and the, I, it's the proofs in the pudding when they were um, contacting me back at the start of the year to, there to get out again and help them prepare for the Denier fight so they wouldn't be asking me to go out again if I, if I never gave them good work so um, it's encouraging for me and, and I want to keep doing that, I want to keep learning and, and being with the best and that, that's how you get better, training and training alongside the best like I am doing with Josh mm -hmm. and, and sparring the best as well and eventually fighting the best. I will be remiss of me and I probably wouldn't be doing my job properly if I never asked the question but I mean, you did say that if you win the European title your first defence would be against Cash. Now, is that a fight that, and obviously it's been a while now that since you fought Cash but is it a fight you're still wanting for or can that fight wait until one of you get the world title because both of you are both destined to become world champions. Can that wait and be a super-duper fight for Scottish boxing for a world title rather than a European title? It could be. Um, it, it definitely could be for a world title. Um, but like I've said before, um, well, I was saying that. I was saying that before um, I'd come on board with this, um, with Dave, the nutritionist. I, I was thinking, oh, there's no very long left for me at Bantamweight. But my God, that last that last fight there, it was the easiest I'd ever done weight. I know it was three pounds over bantamweight, but I could have made bantamweight no baller that morning. Um, so, I, I was saying, well, let's get it done as soon as possible. But before I'd obviously, like I said, got got and uh, started working with Dave because I was thinking my time at bantamweight is very, very limited now. I've not got long left. So, I was wanting to try and push it and get it as soon as possible. But now, I feel like um, doing everything properly. Um, my diet is spot on. I think... It, it potentially could wait and be a massive fight for the world title but me be me I'm a fighter and I want to be involved in big fights I want to I want to prove that I'm I'm take on any challenge and, and the public want to see it again 
So if that's the first defence, 100%, um, I would like it to be uh, my hometown this time. I know there's not very many venues, but if I win, if I pull this off and become British Commonwealth and European champion after 10 fights, um, I'm sure I've, I've earned um, having my first defence in, in Edinburgh. And if it's cash, then 100% uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm up for it 100%. And like I've said before, there's, there's no way that he's, he's going to get the Lee McGregor that he got last time. I, and I, obviously, I've got to go, just going back to the Gurphy fight, you're headlining at the Production Park Studios. You've fought there before, no fans and whatnot. But for the fans that will be watching, what can they expect? Are they going to expect the best Lee McGregor in terms of your first full training camp with Ben? A proper, you've got your nutritionist on board, like you said there. You're back training alongside somebody like Josh Taylor, who I've seen in the gym many times. He trains like a beast. Are we going to see the best Lee McGregor for this European title fight? 100%. Biggest fight in my career. Um, one million percent. I, w- I spoke a lot um, in the lead up to my last fight and that was literally just um, following a plan and being in touch with Dave um, through WhatsApp. And I said, listen, you are going to see a very good performance and one of my best. And I feel like it was probably my best performance. I know the opposition was, wasn't was like it, it had it was in my previous fights, but it was still decent enough opposition and I said, listen, you're going to see a different a different fighter. And a lot of people uh, said that, that that was the case. And that was literally just um, dealing with Dave through WhatsApp and doing following the plan back home myself with my, my amateur coach, Pez. Mm-hmm. So now being alongside him every single day, um, doing the every improperly, getting trained by Ben, living here with Dave, there's no, you're not getting away with anything. He's, he's here every day with us. So... I'm going to be even better than my last fight, and and I'll and I'll need to be because this is a big, the biggest fight in my life, like I said, and it's a hard fight. Uh, so I'll be fully prepared, the best prepared that I ever have been, and I'm very confident that it'll be my best performance. Finally, before I let you go, a quick word. And Josh, he's got a tough fight Saturday coming up against Kong Song. Uh, a lot of people don't know who Kong Song is, but for what I've saw, I mean, he can hit a little bit. Um, but how's yeah. Josh looking in that gym? I've seen him. On, he's, he's kicking ass on Instagram now. He's loving the Instagram stories and stuff like that. But how is he looking in the gym? Oh, no, he's flying as usual. Um, I've seen him. I've, I've been a part of his training camps for a lot of his fights now. Um, uh, a week out from a fight, this is the best I've ever seen him. Uh, he's still eating very, very well. He's full of energy, his usual self. Um, great spirits. I think people, he's again, right. are going to be... A, a brilliant performance from him. Um, as I said, I've just sort of come down this week. The last sort of week is sparring and that, and he's and he's flying and that's some basically. Normally, the boxers um, last sort of spars, they're they're it's getting to the hard stage. They get they're cutting the weight, and but he's still absolutely flying. So expect a big big performance. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Unfortunately, I, I'm not going to be able to make that fight. I think this, because obviously going down to London, I don't think it'll make any sense for me traveling all the way down there at this moment in time. But I'll definitely be watching it and I, hopefully I can get to your fight next time, your European title yeah. fight. But yeah, I'll let you get on and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I, I know you're going to go to some pool or snooker or whatever it is. But uh, enjoy yeah, the rest of your Sunday, champ, and I'll speak to you soon. Nice one, Andy. Cheers, mate. Speak Thanks, to you buddy. soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Struggling with debt, bills, loans, credit cards. Need a way out? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. 
Free, impartial advice on all your debt matters. If you live in the Sheffield area and you need a kitchen fitted, make sure you check out JW Interiors. My friend James has been in the industry for many, many years. He is the Vassal Lomachenko of kitchen fitters and he's a real good solid Yorkshireman to boot. So check him out at JW Interiors. I'll leave links in the description below to his Facebook page, to his website, and you can find all the contact details there. So check him out, JW Interiors. FA Jagba moves to 14-0 with a 10-round unanimous decision win over Jonathan Rice on his ESPN top-ranked debut. Now, the first thing which surprised me a little about this fight was the difference in height. Because F.A. Ajagba is listed at 6'6", Jonathan Rice is listed at 6'5", but I'm telling you people, there was a lot more than an inch difference. I reckon if F.A. Ajagba really is 6'6", then Jonathan Rice is 6'4 at best. Okay, so I was a little surprised by how much taller Ajagba was than Rice, and I'm very aware that Ajagba's got hair on top of his head, which, you know can give the illusion that he's taller than he actually is. But no, even if you look at their eye level, in this particular still, a Jagber is not standing up straight. But if you see him standing up straight, especially when they were face-to-face -face at the start of the fight during the referee's instructions, a Jagber looks significantly taller, much more than an inch. So that did surprise me a little bit. Now, as far as the fight, I've seen a lot of boxing media outlets describing it as a lackluster performance by F.A. Ajagba. Well, I've never been massively impressed by anything Ajagba's done so far in his professional boxing career, okay? That's not to say that I don't think he has talent or potential. He does. I just haven't seen a performance that has really blown me away. You know, even when he was knocking out all these journeymen in spectacular fashion, you could still see that there were issues with his style and what have you. And so the same goes for this fight. To be fair to him though, Jonathan Rice is not an easy guy to look good against because he's competent, he's big, he's strong, and he's fluid. You know, even though F.A. Ajagba was the more accomplished of the two in terms of an amateur career, and he's the prospect here, Jonathan Rice has got multiple losses, Rice is a lot more fluid than a Jagba, and you could see that in the fight. So Rice generally tries to come to win. In the fights I've seen him have before with up-and-coming prospects, he's tried to actually win those fights. This one right here, he was a lot more cautious against F.A. Jagba. Yeah. I think he was still trying to win the fight, especially early on, but after maybe four or five rounds he went into survival mode and it was just F.A. Ajagba making the fight. Jonathan Rice throwing the occasional counter, but not really trying that hard. Maybe the fitness wasn't there. Maybe the confidence wasn't there. I don't know. Even though Jonathan Rice did come in, I think 15 pounds or so lighter than he was in his last fight. Uh, but still, there's a difference between being aesthetically in shape and being in shape in terms of cardiovascular, being fight fit, being match fit. So I don't know whether Jonathan Rice really was match fit. Uh, Tim Bradley on the ESPN broadcast said it wasn't really anything to do with Jonathan Rice's fitness. 
It was more to do with his desire. But, you know, I'm not so sure about that because the old saying goes, fatigue makes cowards of us all. If you're not really in the right kind of shape, you're not going to have the type of confidence. Most fighters ain't going to have the type of confidence that they have when they're in absolute tip-top condition. Either way, Jonathan Rice was the more fluid of the two. He was boxing primarily on the back foot. He was using a nice jab, upper body movement, lateral movement around the ring. And F.A. Jagba was stalking him and walking him down for the entirety of the fight. That was pretty much the story of it. Now, most fighters struggle to get serious power in their shots when they're on the back foot and when they're moving around. Okay, especially heavyweights. They, they struggle to shift their weight forward in a split second from being on the back foot to the front foot to get enough power in the shots. And that was definitely the case with Jonathan Rice. I've seen Jonathan Rice on the front foot in other fights and he definitely can hit a lot harder than he showed in this Ajagba fight. But because he was so focused on defense, even when he did land, and he, he landed his fair share of shots on F.A. Ajagba, okay? And I'll get onto Ajagba's deficiencies in just a second. But Jonathan Rice landed his fair share of shots on F.A. Ajagba, you know, mainly right hands, mainly as counters, but there really wasn't much on them because, again, he was on the back foot, he's moving away, and he would notice an opening, you know, Ajagba maybe leave his jab out a little too long and Jonathan Rice will come in with a shot so, you know, there were, there were nice shots there from a technical point of view that Jonathan Rice was landing. There just wasn't enough of them and they weren't damaging enough because as I say, he couldn't get the same kind of power on the back foot as he can generate on the front foot. And I'm not saying Jonathan Rice is some spectacular knockout artist or anything like that. All I'm saying is he can punch harder coming forward than he can going backwards, okay, or moving side to side. So yeah, uh, Rice, as I say, kind of went into survival mode about the midway stage. And F.A. Jagba just trundled along to a victory over 10 rounds. Now, as far as Jagba and the issues he has, first of all, he's very upright. Very, very upright. There's no upper body movement to speak of there whatsoever. So he really needs to work on that. Apparently, he's got a new trainer now. They need to work on getting him more loose and limber in his upper body. Because not only is it a defensive thing, you know, moving your upper body and moving your head, but it also helps you get angles. It helps you see different things when you're moving your head about. But when you're just st stood up like a Jaguar always is, as if he's got a rod, <laughs> you know, in his spine, um, you don't see as many things. And obviously you're more of a sitting duck when somebody wants to throw shots at you. Now he keeps his hands up nice so he can block shots. But when an opponent sees a gap, you know, they know where F.A. Jagba's head is pretty much all the time. So he's very upright, no upper body movement there. He's pretty one-paced, doesn't seem to be able to go through the gears that much. And again, against Jonathan Rice, that is difficult because he is slippery and awkward. But still, even in other F.A. Jagba fights, hasn't really gone through the gears much. So he's quite one-paced. He's not the quickest heavyweight you've ever seen. Uh, upright and maybe lacks a bit of imagination. Again, that also ties into the lack of head movement because, you know, fighters who move their head around and change their their height, you know, sometimes you can mess with your stance, have a wider stance and, and get a bit lower, move your head from side to side. You, see, you just see different things. And these are the things that F.A. Jagba needs to incorporate. Another thing as well, which uh, this is what I was actually searching for in my mind, is F.A. Jagba fights quite square on. Now, his feet are not particularly square, but his shoulders are square. Now, for a guy as tall as he is, he's at least 6'6", six, six, maybe taller. 
And he's got long arms. You know, Fair Jagba's reach, according to BoxRec, is 85 inches. So a guy with that kind of reach, with arms that long, he's sacrificing some of his reach, some of his arm length, by squaring up his shoulders as much as he does. If you stand more side on, you can maximize that reach. So that's another thing I think that they need to work on with FAO Jagba. I think for some opponents, maybe you won't want to get extra length on your jab. Maybe you'll want to get inside on them, etc., depending on their style and what have you. But against Jonathan Rice, this is a fight where you want to work on those kind of things. Getting more side on, getting more extension on your jab, you know, varying the jab from body to head and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the Jagba just looked a little pedestrian, a little robotic, again, squared up shoulders. So yeah, there's plenty to work on there. According to Tim Bradley, who spoke to FAA Jagba uh, before this fight, uh, he asked the Jagba how long he thinks it's going to be before he fights for a world title. And apparently a Jagba said two years. So by that, a Jagba must be well aware that he has a lot to work on and that he's nowhere near the finished article. And that's obviously a very good thing because he recognizes his current limitations and how long it may take him to address all those issues. Okay. Now, as far as Jonathan, and by the way, I had no issue with with the decision. I think Jonathan Rice definitely picked up some rounds in this fight. No doubt about it. In fact, let me look at the judges' scorecards. 99-91, that was too wide. Oh, Vic Draculage. Oh, oh God, he was the ref. Okay, Vic Draculage was the ref? <laughs> Vic Draculage has been around for ages. And I remember him from the 90s. Um, okay, Adelaide Bird was the one, 99-91. Yeah, that, that's too wide. And Dave Moretti one was too wide as well. I mean, I think at the at the bare minimum, you would have had to have given Jonathan Rice two rounds. More realistically, I think he won at least three rounds in a fight. Okay, and all that... F.A. Jagba was the house fighter, you know, probably on a honeymoon period at ESPN top rank. But yeah, th- those scorecards are a bit wide. Jagba definitely won, don't get it twisted. But I think Jonathan Rice probably picked up at least three rounds in there. And as I say, as for Jonathan Rice, he is a good stepping stone opponent. And he's, he's dangerous on his day, don't get it twisted. Uh, interestingly enough, Jonathan Rice and F.A. Jagba were actually sparring together a few weeks before they fought because they didn't realize they'd be fighting each other. <laughs> so that was an interesting dynamic, okay? So Jonathan Rice and Jagba must have gone into the actual fight with some idea of how they were going to approach it based upon their sparring sessions. And maybe that took away some of the element of surprise out of the fight. Maybe... Jonathan Rice felt Ajagba's power in some of them sparring sessions. I know he says he didn't get hit with anything clean, but you can feel a guy's power on your arms and shoulders, and you can feel his physical strength. And maybe he thought, you know what? I can't really afford to be pressing forward and trying to go at this guy because he's too strong. You know, I'm going to put myself in a position where he's going to be able to counter me coming in. And he did counter Jonathan Rice coming in, by the way. Early in the fight, Jonathan Rice was trying to get some shots off and he walked onto a big F.A. Jagba right hand. It might have been in the second round. And there were other moments in the fight where, again, up close, a Jagba was able to get off, I think it was a left uppercut, really solid shot that kind of shook Jonathan Rice again. So maybe he had issues like that in sparring. And so going into the fight, he was more cautious than he was against, let's say, Tony Yoka or 
Who's the other guy he fought? Dempsey McKean, etc. Uh, then, you know, uh, he, he was more cautious against a Jack, but then he was against these guys, maybe because of what happened in sparring. But either way, um, Jonathan Rice, I think, will be a good stepping stone opponent for heavyweight prospects coming up. Uh, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could pick up an, uh, an upset win. Every now and then, Jonathan Rice, I could see it because he does have talent there. Yeah, this is not a guy who looks like a complete stiff in the ring. He does have talent. He makes some mistakes himself. He was falling in with his right hand. His footwork was a little sloppy sometimes uh, when he was letting his own shots go. But for the most part, he's competent. He moves well. He's big and strong. He knows how to survive. So he's going to be a good stepping stone, but he will probably pull off a few upsets over prospects over the years. You know, we'll see. I mean, if the Daniel Dubois-Joe Joyce fight doesn't happen, and we all hope it does, but if it doesn't, then Jonathan Rice wouldn't be a bad shout for a Daniel Dubois opponent. It'd certainly be a massive step up from the recent opponents that Daniel Dubois has been fighting. <laughs> you know? So, and, you know, any other heavyweight prospects out there, Jonathan Rice is not a bad shout as a learning fight. And this is what it was for F.A. Jagbar. It was a learning fight. Hopefully he learned something from this and they can go back to the drawing board in the gym with his new trainer, improve and continue to step up the heavyweight ladder. So let me know what you guys think in the comment section below about this performance by F.A. Jagbar. Were you impressed? Were you not impressed? Were you expecting more? Did you think you'd be able to stop Jonathan Rice? Because Rice has been stopped twice in his last fight by McKean, but to be honest, that was like in the dying seconds of the fight. I mean, you can see here, the fight was ended at 2.58 of the last round, and that was when Rice was going all out trying to knock Dempsey McKean out, <laughs> and he got himself stopped. Okay, so really, I mean, yeah, it, it was a stoppage, but he was so exhausted, and it was in the dying seconds of the fight. Uh, it, it was a stoppage nonetheless, but he could have avoided being stopped in that 10th round. That's the point I'm making. Uh, whereas with Makhmadov, that was a proper stoppage in seven. I haven't actually seen the fight, so maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was stopped in the seventh round out of 10. But other than that, you see his losses have all been on points. Konshinen on points. Uh, Stefan Shaw on points. Tony Oker, of course, on points. So he's generally a durable guy and an awkward guy. So let's see uh, how, it, how his career, maybe as a journeyman, pans out, maybe as a fringe contender. Let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. And specifically for a Jagba, if there are any things that he needs to work on, which I have missed in this particular video, then drop those in the comment section below. All right, it's happening, I'm out. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week, covering a wide variety of controversial topics, as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts, including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, 
you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. One thing we did see over the summer, and it was a summer where it seemed like anything could happen, so maybe it shouldn't have been a massive surprise, was Frank Warren apparently reaching out across the aisle to his matchroom counterpart, Eddie Hearn, <laughs> to make a series of co-promotional fights, or at least to sit down and discuss this. What was your initial reaction to seeing that press release? Did you think it was a publicity stunt, or did you think there was some genuine uh, attempt to make those fights behind it? I, I knew it was going to, well, I thought it was going to happen actually, Danny, because, um, you know, Frank, obviously Frank's worked at Sky for many years. He's a brilliant promoter. He's got a great stable, but you know, there's, you know, there's sides a little bit, Matchroom Sky, you know, Queensbury, Frank and BT. And, you know, it's been a little bit like that. And obviously you get around the boxing writers table and everyone's friends for a night and then you get back to sort of business the next day. But look, I said to Eddie two or three years ago and BT got involved, you know, embrace the competition. Let's, you know, let's, let's see what they've got. And, and it's great. And look, you know, I went over to the Fury Wilder show in Vegas and I watched nearly every one of Frank's shows and, you know, and I, you, you do, we're boxing fans and it's, it's great that there's so much, um, there's so much opportunity out there for fighters and for fans to have, you know, such such a lot of fights on. Um, obviously, we, we concentrate on Sky business and Matchroom business. You know, Eddie's our promoter and, and Matchroom are our partners in, in not just boxing, but huge amounts of things over many, many years. You know, we've got a, a deep history with them. Um, but, you know, I, it was lockdown was a funny time. And, you know, I suddenly started hearing a lot from Frank and, you know, we interviewed Tyson Fury a few times, you know, things that maybe we wouldn't have done before. And it was great. And, uh, you know, Todd, as Todd DeBerth says, you know, whether you're Al Heyman or Bob Arum or Eddie Hearn or Frank Warren, everyone's been dealt the same cards at the moment. So, you know, there is a, a, an idea of collaboration a bit. There was talk of maybe even, you know, Matchroom and, 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 and uh, Queensbury or whatever. You know, so Robert Smith was talking this way that can we keep them to, to the same sort of areas and, you know, so that we're not all travelling around the country. There's a lot of those sort of conversations that went on for the sort of health and safety as well and the security. So I think a lot of people did talk in that time. So Frank said to me, you know, come on, you've got to tell, you know, your man, Eddie, you've got to tell him. I'm like, Frank, come on, you know. He said, tell your man that we want to get, you know, we want to get the best fights made, us against you. So I sort of, it did come a little bit out of the blue because, you know, I actually I had a nice email from George Warren sort of saying that this was going to happen. I wrote back and said, look, you know, you, you, Eddie and Frank, let's Eddie and Frank go and have a bit of lunch and then maybe we can have a chat off the back of it. And I'd love to see Boazzi and Yard. I'd love to see, you know, Daniel Dubois against some of the matchroom fighters. Of course, you know, it's there's, there's some great fights to be made. Um realistically do i think they will i don't, I don't know i mean it's like I, I had lunch with eddie last week we put the world to right we, we plotted the sort of next six months and i said to him well when when are you and frank having lunch and am i coming <laughs> oh, yeah. am i am i coming for the dessert what's happening and he said no we will we'll, we'll get together and we'll have a lunch we'll have a bite to eat and you know we'll see what what can be made and eddie will have his his you know issues with some of those matches and frank will have his and we'll see and and is there any likelihood that they'll i don't know you know we all know that you know if aj gets through pulev and fury gets through wilder and then suddenly you know the fury joshua fight becomes more realistic obviously everyone sort of said it's been done and we know both fighters want it and 
they're frustrated and they want it to happen, but it's still a long way off. And 2021 might bring us more things, but maybe that is the sort of the fight where, you know, Frank and Eddie really will be connected. And maybe that will lead to, you know, many of these fights going on the card or spin-offs from that. But look, you know, I'm I'm all for it's difficult because, you know, with my sky hat on, obviously we want the best for our business. And, you know, for, for our business, match them with the best and, and we love working with them. We've got a great relationship. But at the same time, you know, we want the best fights. And some of the best fights can be made only with promoters working together. And, you know, I, uh, I did an interview actually with Boxing Monthly um, many, many years ago when I was given the job of the executive producer job of boxing. And, and suddenly, and I, and I remember a, uh, doing the interview with um, with Glenn Evans and I was saying you know the one thing I want is I want all the promoters to come around the table and let's get these best fights on and I remember I think most of them saying at the time what are you talking utter rubbish it will never happen so look you know it's um, sometimes you've got to be collaborative and you know we're all in the same business we're rivals you know we all respect each other but we want to do the best for, for obviously our um, our, our business and uh, and that's what we do so um i'm open to it i'm always open to talking to frank he's charming he's entertaining he's a brilliant promoter he's got a great stable uh, i love a lot of his fighters you know it's great um, and 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 look would we like to see you know a lot of these matches being made of course we would but will it happen in reality that's up to eddie and frank to sit down so i think the first thing that happens is now we've sort of got our schedule sort of out of the way i, I think eddie and frank should meet up for what are they going to have? Sushi? They're going to have a, a nice Italian? I don't know. You know, it's um, be amazing to be a fly on the wall, wouldn't it? And maybe you know, George and I and others will sort of, you know, come in and be waiting outside. <laughs> Listen, I was there. I was just 10 yards away when they spoke for the first time. I mean, I think there was one moment when Eddie and I had, had a meeting or something and he walked out and he walked past Frank. And I think a few years back and oh, there was nothing yeah, yeah. there. I think there was that. And then there was a phone call. I think, I think Frank said, you know, check your phone, Eddie, or something. Or there was a, a, an Eddie check, and there was a message, and it was from Frank, you know. And so he called him back. And that happened in, in the fight camp bubble, and I was still 10 feet away, and I was just, like, watching him and thinking, wow, you know, if that's happening, then anything can happen. Never say never in boxing. I think Bob Arum and Don King have hugged and told each other they love them at times, you know, having sort of wanted to, you know, destroy each other for 30 years. So... It's boxing for you. We're all gripped by it, aren't we? And we all we all want the best fights. And if there's ways that, that they can, you know, even sort of work in association or something, maybe there is uh, opportunities. There's the BT Sky stuff as well. And, you know, look, BT sits on our platform. There's, there's a lot of links. And, you know, as I said, I went out to BT, you know, covered the, the Fury Wilder second fight. But I was out there and, you know, you, you, you do want to be part of it. You know, there's a... There's, everybody wants to be involved in the big fights and, you know, Frank has got a huge amount of fighters and so has, uh, has Eddie. And, um, you know, let's see if the twins do meet. And you mentioned that Tyson Fury reached out to you during lockdown as well. I mean, I have to ask, what, what did he say? What was his motivation for, for getting in touch? No, I think it was more we, we wanted to do an interview with him. I think it was more we, we, we sort of said... Um, I mean, look, I, I've always admired Tyson Fury hugely. You know, he's worked at Sky before. You know, it's it's and you know we've we, we took a step back. He's promoted by by Frank Warren by Bob Arum. You know, he's not our fighter, but of course, you know, we we're interested in him. You know, he's he's a character. It's an amazing story what he's gone through. You know, we're not sitting here as the AJ fan club. Of course, Anthony Joshua has a, been a brilliant ambassador. For us, he, he represents Sky, he represents Matchroom. He's, you know, he's a, 
is a hugely important part of the whole process we've had since London in 2012. And I would say that maybe the epicenter of all of it, you know, yes, we had Throch Groves at Wembley, with, was there 80,000 there? And we had, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao made finally, a lot of things happened and London 2012 was hugely successful for for the fight game. But I think Anthony Joshua is a major part of, of where, why, you know, people around the offices and sky corridors love, you know, love the fight game still and why the box office fights came back and all of that because, and we've had even press conferences at Sky HQ because AJ has done so much. But let's not forget what Tyson Fury has done. And we never do. As fight fans, we don't. And certainly you, you shouldn't in any walk of life. You know, the guy went through so much. You know, I remember seeing him in Monaco. He was 24, 25 stone and he was begging Eddie. He was saying, oh, I'm going to be the heavyweight champion. I was like, you're never going to get in the ring again. <laughs> you know, it was like unbelievable what he's come through. I have so much respect for him. He talks so openly about his issues, about what he's gone through. And, uh, you know, to come back and the dramatic fights with Wilder, getting up off the floor and then, you know, dismantling him in the manner he did in Vegas. I mean, it's just been extraordinary. So actually, I was like, you know, look, the guys on my my team were sort of the, the, the editorial digital guys. Like, yeah, let's get hold of Tyson Fury. And I was like, look, if you can get an interview with Tyson Fury, great. So it sort of came about and, you know, he said, yeah, and we'll do it. And we we, we did an interview and, uh, you know, it was like, it was it was great fun. And, and I said, well, let's you know, do it again. And then just little things like Tyson Fury, the horse Tyson Fury ran the other day in the St. Ledger. And I was like, wow, that's a great story. I said, like, I said, so I messaged him. I said, Tyson, what do you, he said, oh, he's unbeaten the horse. He's a big outsider, but who knows? Maybe we'll get a good run with him. And listen, we're just, we're having a bit of fun. I think he's frustrated. He's, you know, he wants it. We've seen him meet AJ in Marbella, wherever it was. And, you know, I think it's everybody's just sort of, you know, getting getting a bit closer, a bit more. I don't think it's like, you know, we see with Frank and Eddie, it's, it's not the division so much. It's like, you know, it may go back to that, of course, but, you know, ultimately we all want to see these big fights made and, you know, maybe the fight is Tyson's frustrated. He wants to fight, you know, Frank's saying if he doesn't fight a Wilder in December, he wants to get him back in the ring and fight here against someone. I can understand that because, you know, these, these guys want to fight. This is the, the prime of their careers. And, you know, like the Canelo situation, we just want him to fight. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to see him on, you know, bless him on the yacht on Mexican Independence Day handing out champagne. But, you know, that to me is a subliminal message to fight fans to say, Chingeta Maya is when I should be fighting and you should be enjoying me. And it's like, that's what we want. We want these guys back out there and, uh, you know, the sooner the better. But in the meantime, we'll um, we'll try and keep in touch with as many as we can. Now you've got this kind of uh, relationship with Fury, texting now and again and stuff. He must have said something to you off the cuff, off camera about Joshua and that fight. Just give us a bit of an insight into that. Yeah, look, I think he really respects uh, Anthony Joshua. I think he, you know, they've they have they might not mention it now, but they have talked off the record before, you know, winding each other up a bit, of course. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, they both they both actually gone very different ways through their career. And they both earned a lot of money and they're both, you know, standing as world champions. And, you know, there's a lot of people that think Tyson Fury will beat Anthony Joshua. And there's people that think Anthony Joshua will be will beat Tyson Fury and that you know, he has got the the, uh, the the ability to do that. And and look, it's a great fight. And it's a great fight that we could see two or three times. Um, I think that, yeah, I think, look, he'll, he'll he's, he's more sort of, you know, come on, you know, let's, let's get this fight. We all want to see it happen. So I think he's, he's, he doesn't care. It was more like, well, you know, Dillian White's sort of next in line for you. And he's like, I don't care about Dillian White. I want to fight Joshua. You know, he wants to fight Joshua and Joshua wants to fight him. And that's, 
that's sort of been on the cards for a long time. You know, there was we nearly nearly got to the situation where AJ got to Wilder first, and there was the the, the the, the big issues and it all sort of ran out of steam and then he fought Povetkin and, you know, Wilder took what we thought was a probably a, a fairly comfortable defence against Fury because at that time, you know, Fury had been coming off those those couple of sort of okay fights and people were like, Woody, you know, and and so, you know, he shocked us a bit in that but that's what Tyson Fury does. He shocked us out in, in Germany when he beat you know, Klitschko and, you know, he spooked him on the week and even on the day with a canvas and all that sort of gloves and all that sort of stuff and then he went in and boxed Boxed, you know, boxed a really good fight and Klitschko was stuck in the mud. And, you know, you just, he, he surprises us, doesn't he? This is a man that John McDermott pretty much beat. You know, it, it's amazing what Tyson Fury has gone through. And I think, you know, he's got to a stage in his life where he's very happy with his family. He's very, very connected to his life in Morecambe. And, and I think, you know, he's, he's very, you know, he's very settled for a guy that's been through so much. And I think, you know, he just wants to, to get the big fights on. And he's like, He's saying to me, I don't want to do any interviews until I've got something to say, you know, and then he says something, you know, but he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't want to. He wants to talk about fights. He wants to talk. He said, we can't have fights with no crowds. You know, we need crowds. And I said, yeah, I understand that. But I think he's desperate to get back into a ring, Danny. I think, you know, so is Anthony. Anthony was, was our guest at, at fight camp on the last one. And, you know, he was looking in phenomenal shape already. And he was like shadow boxing around ringside. He was like 15 meters from the ring thinking, why am I not in there? You know, these are fighters. Yes, there's a lot of politics. Yes, they're, they're at such a level that the business and the numbers have to be right. But fundamentally, they want to fight. And I think that both of them have got huge respect for each other. And I think both of them know they can make a ton of money. And they can, and they can also make history. You know, one of them is going to end up being the, the undisputed, the, you know, the unified, whatever. If it's a great fight, I'm sure there'll be two of them anyway in the, the rematch clauses and all that. That's, I think that's, you know, between Eddie and Bob and Frank, I'm sure that that's their business to sort out. As fight fans, as media, we want to see the fights. We want to see the biggest fights. But yeah, Tyson's been uh, entertaining. Of course, he was entertaining in lockdown, wasn't he? Doing his workouts and stuff. He's a character, you know, and Anthony's a different character and a lovely, humble guy and, and, and you know, appeals to a, a great audience too. And both of them bring so much to the table. And, um, you know, we've got to hope that they, you know, they, they perform. And let's not count out Kubrat, Pulev and Deontay Wilder and all this because, you know, Pulev has waited for his opportunity very patiently. Top-ranked thing, he'll do a number on Joshua. He's a tough, hard opponent for Joshua, especially with the time out of the ring as well. That's no gimme. That's a tough fight. And Wilder, I mean, you know, you don't know what to think, do you? You know, Fury should go in there and, and beat him up again or outbox him. Listen, don't forget Deontay Wilder had him almost seeing stars in that first fight at the end of it. How he got up from that. He's got power, unbelievable freakish power. And believe you me, I've been in the front row at ringside seeing that power, you know, hands on. And he hits like, you know, pound for pound. It reminds me of Tommy Hearns sort of power. And, and, the, and, and he doesn't look like he's got it. But those levers and the wrist. And I just think that power is freakish. You know, when he knocked out, Luis Ortiz, when he knocked out um, Dominic Brazil, just it's, it was it's scary being there. It's eerie, okay? Tyson Fury, I thought he was going to try and outbox him. He went in and did what, you know, the, the Kronk setup told him to do, what Sugar Hill, what Andy Lee said was going to happen. There was a small group that thought that. He implemented that. Now, Deontay Wilder has had plenty of time now out of the ring. Maybe as you go back to the White Povetkin situation, longer to adjust to that, to think, okay, 
you know, and it wasn't a one-punch knockout. It was a dismantling. It was a, it was a, you know, he beat him up in there. Whatever you think about the stories of the, you know, the, 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 the bicep or the this or the costume or whatever it is, he got beaten up, right? So he's got to go back to the drawing board. But Deontay Wilder is a clever guy. He's got a great team around him and he's got a lot of power. And I know that that is a fight that he believes he can win. So let's not count these guys out. What we've got to hope happens is that both of those fights, whether they're semifinals, whether they're real massive fights in their own right, maybe a bit of both, they happen before Christmas. And we can see where we are, hopefully have a, a nice, peaceful, relaxing Christmas and the, the state of the world will be in a better place. And 2021 will be a bit clearer for where we are with a heavyweight picture. But there's a lot of things to happen before we get, we know we get Fury and Joshua in a ring together.